I was reared here in Southern California, but I spent uh, 23 years in Iowa. And when we first moved to Iowa and bought a little house with uh, 700 square feet up and 700 square feet down in the basement, uh, we were surprised that uh, the neighbor behind us uh, came to greet us and the very first concern he expressed was, you're not gonna build a fence, are you? In Iowa, it's a strange thing for us, for Californians to realize, is they don't put fences, whether they're chain link or wood or walls made of cinder block or something like that between uh, the houses. And in fact, uh, they want to be neighborly and they want to see you out in your yard and want to come over and talk to you and find out what's going on in your life and uh, be there for you. Uh, that was the neighbor behind us. The neighbor next door to us, the lady came over and made friends with my wife and, and told her that uh, she had diabetes so badly that uh, she sometimes uh, starts to go into a coma and doesn't realize it. But she says there is a moment there where uh, could I phone you and you come over and I'll show you my refrigerator and there's some orange juice in a glass there. Have me drink the orange juice right away uh, or else uh, I might have a serious problem. And it happened several times where my wife got the call, had to run next door and, and help her. It's, it's interesting in that culture, uh, we get involved in each other's lives. We know each other's children. We know everybody's business. Uh, we, we seem to want to be helpful. Uh, I can remember uh, the first really big snowstorm uh, we had. Uh, it was 13 inches in one big dump, and it was uh, heavy, wet snow. All I had was a snow shovel, and I began trying to dig ourselves out of the driveway. And then, sure enough, a friend uh, from the college came over with a, a big pickup truck and a blade on front, and in seconds he had my tiny little driveway uh, pushed aside of snow, and it was just like the neighborly thing to do. But we are up against a culture, largely in America as a whole, and particularly here in Southern California, where we don't pay attention to other people. Uh, we don't know other people's business. Uh, we don't know other people's hurts. Uh, we're not there uh, to meet their needs. And uh, we just uh, put on blinders and, and, and hardly care, it seems. And as we've been working our way through the book of Galatians, we've come to Galatians chapter 6. And in the book, Paul has been writing to them about the various problems they're having, becoming confused by Judaizers who've told them that the faith that they had in Jesus Christ is not enough and they should be scared because they need to receive circumcision, which none of them want to do. They're Gentiles, they're adults, they don't think that would be comfortable, nor do they want to adopt the dietary restrictions of the laws of Moses. They don't want to add to the faith that they expressed in God a performance-based relationship. They're completely confused. And so Paul says, we need to come alongside our brothers and help them. And I say this to our shame. We know these verses are in the scripture. And yet culture has such a strong influence on us that we sometimes wrongly default back to our cultural experience rather than what the scripture actually says. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, please. 
Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he'll have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. The exhortation in Galatians 6.1 is not unique. You find such exhortations in many places in the scripture. This one is particularly about someone who was running away from the temptations of sin and was overtaken, tripped up, and caught in this sin and has fallen into a trespass. There are various synonyms used in the word uh, for uh, Sin And this word trespass uh, speaks about crossing the line, uh, about stepping where you should not have stepped. And the way in which this is described is if he wasn't purposely trying to fall in the sin, it seemed like he was making some effort to resist it, but it's as if he was overwhelmed by temptation and found himself caught up in this. The exhortation for us is, it's now our responsibility to come to him, and these male expressions can easily be applied to a female situation as as well. If we have a sister who is in need, a sister who needs help, it's our responsibility to come alongside her and offer help. This American rugged individualism, however, causes people not to tell other people of their needs, not admitting that we are struggling, not willing to accept help much, and then we, sometimes even when we are told, will say something like, well, I'll pray for you, but then we forget, and then we never actually get actively involved. And that's what Paul is saying should not be. The Christianity described in the New Testament is not the kind of normal American Christianity uh, that we seem to experience in which we just come to meetings and go home and mind our own business and pretty much no one's ever been to our our home, no one's ever seen our life, no one hardly knows us other than just greeting us politely when they see us. We ought to be much more involved in each other's lives. He says, you who are spiritual, you need to step up and help these people. In the context, as he describes a spiritual person, he's talking about generally a person who is mature and who is walking in accordance with the Spirit. And he gives exhortations about what the fruit of the Spirit would look like and what it would look like not to be dependent on your own efforts and your own will, uh, but to be actually submitting to the leading of the Spirit and to walk in step with Him, almost like marching in unison, in which each one's putting you know, his left foot forward and his right foot forward. We're just supposed to be following the Spirit in such a manner. 
So you who are spiritual, you who are walking with the Lord, be sensitive to the people who are stumbling. Reach out to them. The hard part is when people reach out to us in such a rough, gruff, superior way that we thank them politely and tell them to go mind their own business because we don't want their help because their help seems to be coming with an air of superiority or an air of I've got my life together, you don't have your life together, an air of let me set you straight. He's saying don't do it in that way at all. Come with gentleness and humility. Hmm. That kind of reminds me of one of the favorite invitations we've ever heard Christ make. Keep your finger here in Galatians 6. Would you turn back with me to Matthew chapter 11 and remind ourselves of his invitation to let him work with us as we yoke up with him. This is Matthew 11, beginning with verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He seems to have a fairly open invitation. It could be referring to come to him for forgiveness of sins and to receive salvation, he goes on to speak of a discipleship kind of arrangement in which we are learning from him how to go about the, the walk. And it even speaks of how we would serve beside him. So it seems like the invitation is speaking about a lot of things in our lives. But he says, come to me. We have brothers and sisters around us who suffer privately, who do not speak up. Elders, for example, would be happy to come along and help people if we only knew somebody has to say something because we're not omniscient. And so we need to know who needs help, and we need to be the kind of people who will ask for help. And that is, again, an American thing where we, we say, like, I can do this myself, like lifting things. Have you ever tried stupidly to lift something that's way too awkward, way too big, and, and you find out, I can't do this by myself, but I don't want to ask for help. Someone magically needs to come beside me and help me in this. One amazingly silly thing we did back when my wife's uh, parents didn't have a phone on the, uh, the mission field, and so we used ham radio to reach them. We had this gigantic ham radio antenna about the size of the roof of the entire house, way up in the air on a steel pipe. And the way you adjusted it was it had a pivot where it would lay down in the driveway, and then you'd work on it, and then you could push it back up again. And one particular time, Carol and I were trying to relift it and put it back into position. So she was on one end of it. I was pulling down on the other end of it. And it was just so heavy, it was not going to work. And we were perilously in this balance of whether it was going to go crashing and destroy the antenna. When the neighbor behind us, who could see us, uh, came over and just so politely said, would you like some help? And we said, yes, we did. And so he helped us, and we were able to get it uh, stabilized again. We have to say, I need Help And Jesus says, come to me, all ye who are weary and heaven laden, 
I will give you rest. This rest is spoken of from the opening pages of the scripture, of where we find our physical and spiritual and eternal rest in the gift of God and the relationship that we have with him. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. The reason I turn to this passage as a cross-reference is because that's Paul's exhortation in Galatians 6. When we're restoring a brother or sister, we can't come with an air of superiority or an air of condemnation or an air of uh, judgment. We come like this, gentle and humble in heart. When he says, yoke up with me, he's speaking of the practice they had where if you had a, a two oxen team that was going to pull the plow for you and you had a young ox that had not yet learned how to do that, you take one experienced off, ox off and yoke up the young ox with the experienced ox and together they'd pull the plow and the young one would learn how that is done. And Jesus, using this picture, says, yoke up with me pull together along with me, I'll show you how this is done. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Then notice he says, and it won't be bad because I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. Another way to translate that word is kind. My yoke is kind. My burden is light. And so he says, it will not be overly burdensome to please me in relationship with me in living this life if you will go through life yoked with me. I will disciple you and help you and encourage you and strengthen you and it won't be bad. Now go back to Galatians 6 again and listen to these exhortations. He says, when you as a spiritual person, Galatians 6, 1, Find this brother or sister who's caught up in a trespass, who's fallen into sin, who needs help. Restore such a one. Bring them back into obedience to the Lord and fellowship with him. But do so in a spirit of gentleness. Isn't it interesting that when we speak to people who have done something wrong, we tend to have an edge to our voices in which it comes across in a harsh manner and the person is less likely to be so open and, and they begin to close down and you see the body language and the eyes avert and, and you can sense they're, they're not very receptive to what's going on. He, he says, a spirit of gentleness, but be careful that you don't get pulled down. If you think of one ox in which the other ox that's yoked falls, what's more likely to happen? That the one still standing will pull the one up that's fallen? Or that the one that's still up falls down with the one who's fallen? That's why Proverbs talks about picking your friends so wisely, because a bad friend is more likely to pull you down than you being able to keep him up. And so he says, be careful, look to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. That means that the kinds of hedges we set up for ourselves, the kinds of barriers and protections that we set for ourselves, ought to remain up. 
Sometimes we need to bring someone with us so we don't do this by ourselves, so that we have a helper alongside and the two of us can be strong together. Uh, sometimes this means that, that we have people nearby uh, who can call for help. Uh, often it means if you're talking to someone, the door needs to be open. You can't be like shutting yourself down in a private place and having conversations about very delicate things. It's not wise. So he says, take precautions to protect yourself so that you too will not be tempted. But he says our responsibility, verse 2, we are required to bear one another's burdens. In this paragraph, uh, there are two terms, uh, one called a burden here in verse 2, one translated load in verse 5. These are speaking of different values of weight. In verse 2, where he says we're to bear one another's burdens, this is considered to be a heavy, excessive weight that no one should have to bear by himself. We have tragedies like that that happen. We have people who have been knocked completely off their feet emotionally, uh, mentally, spiritually, and need great help. And it is our obligation, our requirement to come alongside and help a person like this. Since there is a tension within this entire book about those who are trying to keep the law in order to gain favor with God compared to those who are walking by the Spirit, he says, this actually fulfills the law of Christ. This is actually doing what the law would have prescribed, but not doing it because of the law, but by doing it because of the leading of the Spirit. You are pleasing Christ according to the law of Christ when you carry out these kinds of requirements. It's the principle of love that is taught by Jesus, the love one another, so that if we say with our mouths we love one another, then we need to reach out and help each other thereby fulfilling the law of Christ. Psalm 55:22 says, "Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken." And in many cases, as we cast our burden upon the Lord, the Lord will send to us a real-life person who can be of great encouragement to us. Uh, sometimes even uh, something as simple as a kind word and a hug can mean so much to us. Or saying, for example, I know how you feel. I've experienced things like this before. Recently in our assembly, we had uh, a father, a husband, uh, who came to know the Lord. It was a business arrangement uh, where the parents of one of the brothers in our assembly needed in-home care, and he ran, this brother I'm talking about, is ran an in-home in care business. Uh, he didn't know the Lord. Uh, he was part of a, a large uh, church organization uh, all over the world, but not a, a true believer. But as uh, the brother in Christ in our assembly shared his faith with him, he led him to the Lord. He was radically changed, immediately felt his sins removed, felt uh, freeness in his soul, loved the Lord, started coming to all of our meetings and cried out to us for help for his family because his wife, his two sons were still entrapped in that traditional church and, and he wanted them to know the truth. And he says, but my wife 
is angry and disappointed in me that I have found Christ. What shall I do? And I talked to him about the passage in 1 Peter where it's just the opposite, where uh, the wife was saved and the husband was not, and where the exhortation is for the wife to win her husband without a word by the way in which she lives. And he latched onto that and said, yes, that's what I'll do, as I will pray for her, you will pray for her, but I will live a life loving Christ in front of her and show her how changed I am as a person. And she became interested. And her first time stepping foot on our property was to come to one of our picnics where that seemed safe, and she was shocked that we were nice people. She, she thought we, we wouldn't be kind and opening and welcoming. Well, she had a huge problem. She was pregnant with a baby with a genetic, genetic uh, abnormality that could be fatal. And so she asked us, even though she hardly trusted us yet, would we pray for her and her baby? And so we did earnestly. In fact, she even came out to one of our Wednesday night prayer meetings and heard us verbally praying for her and the ability to carry this baby. At six months, uh, she lost the baby. And my wife, who also lost a baby, came alongside of her and said to her, I understand, I know how you feel. The interesting thing about that was when my wife needed ladies to come alongside of her, there were a number of ladies who'd had miscarriages who came out of the woodwork to encourage her and help her and help her go through that. And we would have never guessed that they'd ever had a miscarriage because people don't talk about that normally. That's not common conversation. But when they reach out to say, I know how you feel, I, I know what it's like, I've been there as well, that was a breakthrough uh, with this woman. And it wasn't much longer before she came to faith in Christ. Her husband had already been baptized. Uh, she wanted to be baptized, but she told me, I want to be baptized with my sons, but they don't yet know the Lord. I want all three of us to be in the baptistry at the same time and as a family to be baptized. So we began praying for their son, who were in our youth group and in our Sunday school, uh, now attending, who went to vacation Bible school with us. Uh, they were both saved over the summer, and last Sunday we baptized all three of them, which was great joy to us. But I say this to say one of the huge breakthroughs with her was she had a crisis in her life in which she called out to God for mercy for the baby in her womb, genetically malformed, unable to live, that she lost at six months, and she became so tender towards the things of the Lord that she was open to receiving comfort, and that comfort blessed her, and it was one of the openings to the sharing of the gospel. And hence you can hear him say, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Bear one another's burdens, thereby fulfill the law of Christ. It is our obligation to be there for people who are hurting. 
We cannot, even if our culture has taught us to build walls around our houses and to pretend we don't notice things and to say, I, I, I don't really know what's going on with my neighbors, we have an obligation when we know a person has a burden to reach out to them and offer to help carry this heavy, excessive weight that no person could carry by himself. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We do this in a spirit of gentleness, in a spirit of humility. That opens up the ministry where we don't come across as incapable of ever failing or perfect in the way in which we live, but we come across as those two who have been saved graciously by the Lord's work. And we will not take credit. We give the credit to God himself. Listen to him in verse 3. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. We have a tendency in our own pride to compare ourselves to others and to imagine ourselves as superior, our ways and practices superior, and that we should lead over others. He's telling us we need to lay aside all conceit, not compare ourselves to others, ask the Lord for a more accurate understanding of ourselves and where we stand with God, and hold back pride from getting in the way of serving others. My vote, most valuable commodity is my time. And what's interesting to me is the Lord brings people into my life at sometimes inconvenient times. And the question then is, with the precious commodity of my time, will I grant a person who's asking for help time? And when I do, I am blessed by the Lord that he allows me to serve him and to be a help to people. We need to be a little more free in sharing our phone numbers with others, a little more free in answering the phone. Uh, yesterday afternoon, I got a call from a father who's struggling uh, with his son. He said at least three times during the conversation, thank you for taking my call. Thank you for answering the phone. He was desperate at that moment. I did have the World Series on, but... <laughs> But he was grateful that I was willing to meet with him for hours the day before and listen to him cry out for help and to give him help and wisdom. And then we texted back and forth quick answers to some of the problems that he was seeking. We don't want to be the kind of people who brag about what we achieve. We don't want to say, this is me, this is what I have done. We want to say, I'm but a humble servant of the Lord, available for service. If the Lord would like to use me, I would be happy 
to serve by his guidance. A problem in the Galatian church, these are four cities with four churches, is these Judaizers who'd come along were actually boasting for what they'd achieved in dominating the Galatians. So listen to him in verse 4. He says, but each one must examine his own work, and then he'll have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. He says, do not take credit for what others do. We have a tendency to do that. We have a tendency when we tell a story to talking to a fisherman an hour ago, and I saw the picture of the fish, so they're, they're really a large fish, but we have a tendency to exaggerate, just like fishermen may exaggerate the size of the fish they've caught. We, we have a tendency to exaggerate how prominent we were in whatever it was we feel we might have achieved so that people will think more highly of us. Jesus was humble. Paul was humble. We need to be humble in the way in which we work with people and give glory to God. Verse 5, for each one will bear his own load. You could say it in vernacular, each one of us needs to pull our own weight. Different word. This is the weight of the pack that each soldier would carry on a march. So there were heavy equipment in wagons that were pulled because no human would be wanting to carry that kind of weight. But every soldier carried some weight with him. And so as we are helping people with burdens that are too heavy for one person to carry, there still is a responsibility for me, for you, for the person that's hurting that we have to carry our own load, that we have to make a contribution as well. And occasionally I run into people who want to take complete advantage of other people and not pull their own weight. When I was in seminary in a, a difficult class, uh, I was taking copious notes as, as the uh, prof was talking, and there was a person next to me uh, who was an immigrant who uh, spoke with a strong accent and uh, his English might not have, have been as proficient as, as mine and uh, he was noticing that my notes as he was looking across the aisle might have been superior to his and so when the class was over that day he said could I have a photocopy of your notes I said sure so I photocopied them for him and gave them to him and I thought well you know that'll be a way in which I can encourage him and help him, and if he was having difficulty with language or keeping up with what to write down that was important, uh, now he has a, a copy of my notes for the day. The next week we get together for class, and I'm, again, copiously listening and taking good notes, and he started to for the first third of the class, and then he noticed I was taking good notes, and he just put his pen down and rested and just listened orally and then asked at the end of class, can I have a copy of your notes? And I said, okay, I'll let you have a copy of my notes. So I gave them to him the third week. He didn't take a single note. <laughs> and he said, can I have a copy of your notes? And I said, you know, 
this is not the way it's supposed to work. I'm happy to help you if you will help yourself, but I don't want to be your note taker for you. I want you to do what we are doing, which is we can't take down everything that he's saying. That would be impossible. But we are interacting in our mind with what he's saying. We're distilling it. We're summarizing it, and we're writing down the most important concepts. That would be good for you, too. So I'm willing to help you if you're willing to take notes, too. But I'm not going to help you if you want me to do all the work for you. And this passage where it says, each one will bear his own load, is a good contrary comment from the apostle to say, we don't want people to become so dependent on us that they no longer pull their own weight. Uh, There may be moments in time uh, where they're beyond themselves and they'll need complete assistance, uh, but there is a point in which they are to be responsible to carry weight on their own, and we need to help them help themselves by making the right decisions and by entrusting themselves to the Lord in such a way that they are dependent on the Lord's empowerment to do this. Here's where it gets really tricky. It said back in verse 6-1, If anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. A problem we have in today's culture is... Evangelical Christianity has become so tolerant of so much sin that we just say, well, that's fairly common. And so we don't even view or treat what the scripture considers to be serious sin as that. And hence we say, well, we shouldn't get involved. Now, I know even things that we don't consider to be serious sin, sometimes uh, God considers them uh, to be serious sin. Uh, But let's just take on, for example, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 4 and 5 regarding fornication. He'll straight out say, fornicators don't inherit the kingdom of God. And yet today, we'll say, well, They're consenting adults. What does that have to do with me? Uh, Why should I get involved in something like that? There is a huge problem for us in which we, we have looked past lying and stealing as such common sins that we say, like, well, I don't need to get involved in that either. It's true that in the First Corinthians passage where it describes uh, even homosexual activity, for example, as not inheriting the kingdom of God, but then it pauses and says, but such were some of you, and you were washed, and you were cleansed, and now you're a part of the body of Christ. He's saying, you can be forgiven, but these are sins that separate you from God. In those same lists you'll find things like lying. And these are things that we just let go right over our head and we go like, lying? Everybody lies. And we should say to ourselves, no, no. We are not to be people who tolerate lies. 
I love it when he says, let him who stole steal no longer. That means before he was a believer, he was a thief. But now that he's a believer, he can't do that anymore. He has to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and be obedient enough that he won't continue that way. So, brothers and sisters, let's take this admonition to heart. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in spirit of gentleness. Remember, the demeanor of the approach is crucial. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Oh, Father, we come before you thanking you for how clear your servant Paul is in the word where he teaches us what your expectation is of us, how you want us to be involved in each other's lives, encouraging each other and helping each other. Father, I praise you that I have seen many a brother and sister restored into fellowship, into the body, accepted as one of the beloved, and that they are treated as a saved believer just as the rest of us are saved believers. Not one of us perfect, not one of us sinless, but each of us covered by the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we thank you that there is provision for family forgiveness, where if we confess our sins, your Son is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May we keep short accounts with you. May we admit our sin and agree with you regarding our sin, confessing that to you and allowing you to forgive us in a familial way and allow us then to continue to have fellowship with you. Father, we pray for our local churches. We pray that we would walk in the light as you are in the light, that we would walk according to your spirit, that we would keep in step with him, and that we would, by bearing each other's burdens, fulfill the law of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.